How was the DNC? It was amazing. It looked amazing. Yeah, it was. How amazing. did that come about? Uh, yeah, no, the West Wing was part of, uh, is part of the reason I've been to every convention since 2000 when the DNC descended upon the set of the West Wing. Um, actually, I, th I think I was doing 17 people because I remember be expecting to, it to be a very difficult day. Mm -hmm. And as I recall, that was a very difficult scene to do with, with uh, Martin and John. And, um... I think right as we were about to get started, the double doors, I don't think we had double doors, but it felt like double doors were busting open, and in walked Al Gore with a camera crew behind him and Matt Lauer of the Today Show, right as I was about to begin. Oh, man. And I was probably the only one on the set which wanted to kick the vice president out. <laughs> really, can you just wait like another two takes? Two takes? No, about eight <laughs> hours. You know, I was a full day of work ahead of me. Oh, very gosh. difficult work. And um, I was very pleased to meet the vice president, but I don't bust into him yeah. in the situation room when there's, uh, you know, when uh, mm -hmm. when there's uh, border threats, uh, you know. I mean, that's, that's the, the equivalent. But we're all thankful for that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but I had to, you know, live with it. But And then we ended up getting invited over there and... Um, you know, it's quite an exciting experience for anyone who's a West Wing uh, cast member because we're treated like Elvis is returning to Memphis, you know. it's um, And even though it's been some time, it still was the same experience or similar experience this time around in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, but um, the last two, Charlotte and this one, I felt like I was working more. And I was uh, last time I did a lot of interviews... Mm -hmm. And this time, this time I was asked to speak about two months before the convention, and I thought, oh, that is silly. Um, I always kind of have a reflex negative reaction whenever someone from Hollywood, uh, it, even if they're highly knowledgeable, and um, you know, someone like Deborah Messing is great and very, very much an activist, and, um, and others like her, Gary Washington, um, and I just thought, no, that's absurd. And then after the Republican convention, I called them back and said, I no, no, I think I want to speak now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, everything was locked by then. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't, um, I didn't have the opportunity, which is probably all well and good because, you know, speaking in front of 30,000 people is not something I, I would enjoy. Really? Well, I think if I did well, I would go, wow, that was great. But if I got nervous and stumbled, I would go, that was stupid. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's a massive audience. Uh, but plus, I felt like I had a lot to say at that point and did so in interviews, you know, radio interviews and some TV. And um, I'm going to uh, go on, uh, on the campaign trail now for Hillary. Wow. Um, so we're trying to work out some dates for that. Do you feel like being on the show made you more politically active or passionate it may be more politically mainstream because beforehand my youth certainly i was on the out certainly on the outside felt like the i was on the outside looking in and very much on the street you know demonstrating against the war in vietnam in those days and uh being much more on the fringe and uh you know don't forget i grew up in the era of vietnam for one and uh, nixon for um for two and um had a severe distrust for the federal government. Um, things have gone full cycle now, and now the right wing is at that point of severe distrust of the federal government. Um, the experience of the West Wing and getting to know people on the inside of politics, inside of Washington, I should say, um, and also a lot of the staffers and um, representatives on the, on the local level or on the congressional level, you tend to uh, re rethink uh, that feeling of distrust because you meet a lot of people who are very dedicated and very smart and are trying to do the best, you know, what's trying to do what's right or what they at least think is best. And uh, uh, they don't always succeed, of course, but um, I, was, I was telling someone, I had a Q&A uh, at the DNC, but there was an audience uh, participation kind of interview that I did with Melissa Fitzgerald yeah. uh, moderating, who, of course, 
played Carol, and who was the national chairman of um, the national director of Justice for Vets, which yeah. is a fantastic, uh, fantastic entity that helps uh, create alternative um, uh, court system for vets who have gotten in trouble, so they don't go through the criminal system and they get a chance to rehab and such. Um, and uh, some young person said, you know, do you think I should get on the inside of politics or stay out on the fringe? And I said, well, as you get older, if you care enough, you'll probably get on the inside because... Uh, yeah, why would you stay on the... Why would you stay on the outside? Well, well because I think that, they're, that they, they, they're, their voice is more pure and they could stay more idealistic and... One of the things you learn from doing the West Wing and, and, um, and from the people who are in the West Wing, the real one, is that compromise is very much a part of the, of the way things are done in this democracy. And, um, <clears throat> and when you're on the outside, you have the freedom to feel like you don't want to compromise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, movements are, uh, um, create political activity which incrementally uh, create progress mm -hmm. and that's obvious in my lifetime from the civil rights movement to the women's um, so-called liberation movement in the old days and um, uh, and certainly uh, with the uh, the gay and lesbian and transsexual and questioning <laughs> community um, Imagine, I mean, the, that community more than more than any other, really, the progress that they've made. They weren't in the discussion when I was young. So uh, the inside, is, as discouraging as it sometimes can seem, uh, is, I think, the way to make progress. It's such a cool experience. Um, I wanted to pivot to a couple of things we didn't get to on the last one. Um, in terms of coming from a theater background... And then going to a series drama, you know, if you do a play or something, you know, like a rough sketch of your character and all the things that happen in the story. But if you're on a series drama, like each week you find out more of like yeah. more of who your character is. So was there ever a time, I mean, I would imagine over the course of seven seasons where you're like, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't fit with what I perceive my character to be? Or is there, how much do you go through the process of justifying it before yeah. you go to the director or the writer and say, hey, like, I really can't justify this? Well, I went to the director and writer quite often. But um, there's two things that I, I, I can respond to that, that might be interesting. Um, so remind me of the second one. Okay. Uh, the first one is, uh, interestingly enough, um, I've been listening to, uh, watching uh, Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass just because I thought it'd be fun to yeah. actually listen to him talk uninterrupted um, by his penchant for stopping a conversation and going on to something else mm -hmm. because, you know, that's the way his brain works. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and at, since I feel like I, I know him fa fairly well to uh, listen to him talk about his craft... I thought would be pretty fascinating. And there's this one section uh, in, in the class, in the master class, called, um, subtitled, um, Actors Can Finish Your Work, I think. Not I think, but okay, I, I Actors Can Finish Your Work, uh, I think is the title, uh -huh. and uh, subtitle. And <clears throat> he started talking about how when you have great actors, uh, they can... Uh, very often fill in the work that you don't necessarily have to do for them because that's what they do as actors. And um, because he said the word great or brilliant actors, I expected, you know, I, I literally turned away from the computer screen. I got distracted because I was expecting to, <laughs> to hear him talk about all the great actors that he's worked with, okay. like Jeff Daniels or Jack Nicholson. Or, sure. And shockingly, he said, Richard Schiff is a perfect example of this. It's not shocking, but okay. I almost hurt my head turning back to the screen. <laughs> I was very complimented by that. But he, um, and he used the example of, uh, of um, discovering. Now, he tells the story the way his memory remembers it, which is fascinating to me because it's not accurate. Okay. And yet, it, uh, I'm, I, I think it's great the way that he remembers it. And he might be right, and I might be wrong, mind you, but um, he remembers it. In this way, he says, uh, it, 
it didn't I didn't realize until the fourth, third or fourth day of uh, the pilot when I noticed that Richard was wearing a wedding ring. Mm -hmm. And he said in the master class that he came up to me and said, uh, Richard, I didn't know the, notice you were wearing a wedding ring. I didn't think that Toby was married. Mm -hmm. And he said that I said, um, neither did I. And he said, he said, that, uh, well, then why are you wearing a ring? And then he said that I said, uh, because I, I, I wanted you to figure it out. Yeah, I've heard something like that. What really happened that day, well, Richard? As, as I remember it, <laughs> and with that. due respect to Aaron Sorkin, his version may be more accurate. I don't think so. But I love that he remembered it this way. I remember it more as being three or four episodes in. And it was, and Aaron may have come to me first, but I don't remember that. I remember Tommy Shlami coming up to me and saying, you're wearing a wedding ring. We just noticed in editing, you're wearing a wedding ring. And I said, yeah, I've been wearing a wedding ring since the pilot. He goes, why, why, why? Are you, you, we're, we're thinking of writing your ex-wife. And I said, oh, well, I, I had imagined that Toby was widowed. And um, it kind of informed uh, the sadness that I thought was interesting to bring to him and also kind of make him even more dedicated to his work. The fact that he had this love and that he lost her. Mm -hmm. And um, it created a very deep sadness and a, and, and a, and a, a, a focus that um, I think would, is even more intense. Mm -hmm. And it's part of what created this very kind of complex, intense character. And uh, Tommy said, well, we, we're writing you a, an ex-wife. Mm -hmm. um, and I went, okay, I'll just have to adjust to that. Yeah. And, um, Unless you had an ex-wife and a widow. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he wasn't Mormon. Um, but <laughs> but um, uh, what Aaron had said, his interpretation was, that because I had done that, it created the, um, uh, the ex-wife story. Mm -hmm. In his mind, it created the story that, that, that he was still in love with his ex-wife, mm. um, uh, which is great. Um, so I was able to adjust, but I had to adjust. Mm -hmm. I went, okay, his sadness is not the sadness of someone who's lost someone forever. Mm -hmm. It's the frustration and kind of discontent um, and sadness of someone who, uh, who has been left, but who still feels he's got a chance to, to get it back. Mm -hmm. And that became a lovely storyline for quite a couple of, you know, what, a few years, I think. Yeah. Um, to the point where that great, uh, great storyline where uh, he buys the house. the house. I mean, what, what happened to your heart when you read that script and uh, she, you know, she's standing I, there in the house. I just thought, is he that stupid? <laughs> or that Don't willing to walk, the Don't the that willing to walk the plank. Um, uh, two things about that. One is we just heard Bill Clinton at the DNC talk about the fact that he yeah, had right. bought the house and then proposed. It's a bold um, move, gentlemen. So I don't know if uh, if if Aaron had somehow heard that story from Bill or from somebody who knows Bill, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where the idea came from. But the other interesting thing is, we shot this scene in a house in Virginia, just across from the Potomac from D.C., mm -hmm. and uh, in the middle of the day, the owner of the house, who was a retired admiral, who had been, I think, a part of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, do you want to know something very interesting? I said, what? He, go, he said, well, I was told what the story is about. I actually bought this house before I proposed to my wife. And Apparently that's a thing. used the house as, as the proposal. I said, well, it worked for you, didn't it? It's not working <laughs> for this character. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, so that, you know, those are... And that, uh, what was the second thing? Yeah, the, the second thing was uh, the, uh, you know, the downfall of Toby, which is mm -hmm. a storyline that many, many people uh, still get upset about, as did I at the time, quite profoundly. Um, 
And in this case, uh, there was disrespect um, um, because they wouldn't tell me what the storyline was. Aaron was gone and Tommy was gone. Right. They, they would never in a zillion years not tell me where a story was going. In fact, they often talked about it before they went ahead and, and did it um, to see how I, how I felt. And um, <clears throat> um, uh, in this case, I think they knew a, that I wouldn't agree with it, and or B, that it wasn't a good storyline. And they were embarrassed to tell me. But at one point, uh, one of the producers, I won't mention his name out of respect, said, uh, oh, we have got a great storyline for you coming up. And I go, well, what is it? And he went, oh, I don't want to tell you because I don't want um, you know, the actor to, to give it away. And that is the most disrespectful thing ever said to me. And I'm thinking, and I just let it go, but I was thinking of saying, so you're not going to tell Romeo that he kills himself? Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know? How do you... You're not going to... You know what I mean? You're not going to tell Willie Loman that he kills himself? Um, There are other examples that have nothing to do with suicide. But, um, uh, you know, you, you tell an actor... Uh, what the story is going to be, especially um, in a television series, because uh, uh, a you got you have a chance for the actor who's in this case smarter to talk them out of it, um, uh, uh, and b you you can come up with reasons for it. I mean, they literally called me uh, during the writer break after I think the end of season six is when this spills that he's the leak mm-hmm. that Toby's the leak something he would never do without 15 episodes of arguing with the president first and telling the president that he was going to, yeah. to betray him. If, if that. Um, uh, um, but they called me from their writer's retreat and said, do you, can you think of anything reason why Toby would do this? And I went, well, no, because he would never do it. Well, if he did it, is there a reason that you can think of? I said, well, no, because he would never do it. Mm. And I actually then helped them out and said, if there was a reason, it would be this, this, and this. But I'm telling you right now that I will never, ever say on camera, I did it because, mm. because I didn't do it. Mm. And I, that's how I played. Like he was covering for someone. Yeah. And because um, he would never do that, I'd be, I'd be playing a lie. Um, I could see him d- doing it in order to, or, or taking the blame or, or taking the fall for someone else. I won't tell you for who. I'll leave that up to conjecture for everyone. Did you have like a specific... I knew exactly. Yeah, I know I had a whole story. Where Does it rhyme with Lyman? Uh, um, no, I, I don't want to say though because it, it was a, it's really convoluted in order for me to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I don't want uh, fans to go, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense, you know. Um, it does make sense, but it's a convoluted sense. It just had to work for you, so. I had to get through it. I didn't enjoy it, but um, I definitely had to get through it. Uh, but those are two examples of of um, the television process where, yeah, you find out the next day that you, uh, you know, did 30 years in jail, you know, or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, uh, television is a li- living, breathing apparatus which um which uh which the writers come up with ideas and you know hopefully they're they're thinking of a bigger puzzle down the road i i'm i'm still stunned for instance to uh, to have watched uh, breaking bad and um realizing that i think uh, a brilliant brilliant writer and uh it occurs to me that as the series progressed that he was very clear almost to the beat uh, of what the story was going to be. And there are clues as to why I I think that. Uh, That's remarkable. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, I think shows like Lost didn't quite know how they were going to end it and was hoping some genius thing was going to come to them. Um, You know, Sopranos, I thought, ended brilliantly. A lot of people didn't like the way that ended. But I'm sure they didn't really know how it was going to end until they had to end it. But Breaking Bad, I'm pretty, that's, that it was necessary for him, 
I won't. I don't. I yeah, don't ruin I mean, it. We don't want to be a Breaking Bad spoiler. No, I've never seen. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay, you have to watch. I have it. a sensitive constitution. For me, because I can't watch The West Wing from beginning to end because it's too painful to to watch a my face and b all the editing choices that were made. I still remember. Have you ever seen the whole thing? Not the whole. No, not even close. I uh, rec- a few years ago watched the first two seasons to kind of make myself plus i i wanted to reconcile the experience and um uh and you know what i saw was really really wonderful work um and i uh, was able to appreciate other people's work who i worked with but didn't see the final result mm-hmm. and um enjoyed it but then i just couldn't keep going yeah. so i watched about a year and a half maybe two years I think, uh, was it Melissa Fitzgerald, maybe, who said that there were, like, weekly screenings sometimes, like, during lunch, where people oh, no, could go and week. see every, every week? Uh, every time. Did you not finished, go? Yeah. Once Aaron insisted, because he knew that I wasn't watching, and he insisted in the first season that I watch um, In Excelsis Deo. He says, I know you don't watch. He came up to me and said, I know you don't watch, but I, I insist that you watch this one. I went, okay. So I watched that one. It was still very painful for me to watch, but um, I understood why he <laughs> insisted. He was uh, wanted me to appreciate what the mm-hmm. work that was done. And a uh, brilliant episode from all angles. Mm-hmm. And that was an episode that took a lot of work on all of our parts to, to get to where it was. Sure. What, was uh, <laughs> what was the set like? You've worked on so many different movies and tv shows at this point like what was the what made the west wing set i, I would say in two different eras you know the the sorkin very, the very sorkin and shlami days and then the post sorkin era what what was that like in terms of the pace or the cast camaraderie or the whatever very very different from the, the sorkin shlami era to the post era very, 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 very different. Like what? What would be the things you could point to? When we started, first of all, no one knew that it was going to be what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a sense that it would be successful. So we were solving problems, you know, right from the first rehearsal. We were solving problems. Very first rehearsal, the, rehearsing the uh, the scene with um, in a conference room, the scene with. Uh, Brad and I and Mary Marsh and those guys. And I remember right from the beginning, and I think Tommy tells a different version of this on the DVD. It's fascinating how people remember things. But um, uh, from the very first rehearsal, uh, you know, I, Toby, who's the peacemaker, Mm -hmm. uh, gets very upset because Mary Marsh makes these anti-Semitic comments. And I said to, I asked Tommy, I go, why is Toby getting so upset? And Tommy goes, it's a Judah button, Judah button. He's got a Judah button. Mind you, Tommy and Aaron are intensely uh, involved at this point. I mean, they're, they're, they're vibrating. Their, mm-hmm. their energy is so intense. Um, and uh, so they were both hovering around me. <laughs> it was quite funny. And, um, and I said, why is Toby... So upset and oh he's got a judah button a judah button i go what's a judah button <laughs> he goes anything anytime anybody says anything like remotely anti-semitic toby's just all over it and i said no no i don't think that's accurate i said i think uh, you know toby's world you know worldly he's been around the world i mean i could imagine that he had spent time in israel and in palestine and and you know has friends from both sides and um, uh, and has certainly been around the country. And, uh, you know, the anti-Semitism that I've experienced is so sometimes innocuous that it's like you have to laugh, you know, because people will say things uh, disparaging about Jews not knowing that they're talking to one. I mean, that's how silly the prejudice is sometimes. And um, so I said, I don't think that's it. I think, I think Mary Marsh has to want something. He's got to, she's got to want something because of the situation. Mm-hmm. She's got to ask for something political, mm-hmm. something that they, she can take advantage of. And out of that, Aaron writes the brilliant line, okay, let's deal. Mm-hmm. At, which, at which point, Toby does a double take and, and says, I'm sorry, because what do we get? Mm-hmm. And if you watch that moment in the pilot, that's when Toby goes dark. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's these 
really beautifully edited moments where I am, we're just looking at each other like, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And that's when Toby turns. So he's sophisticated enough to, to realize that this woman is taking advantage and that's what turns him. Mm -hmm. That you do not do this in my house. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and that defined the character, I think, for us, for all of us, down, go, moving forward, uh, was that moment. Instead of just it being a hot button, uh, reacting to stupidity, mm -hmm. he's reacting to someone who's trying to be a little too clever mm -hmm. and recognizes it and attacks. So if you were to bring up something like that in a post-Sorkin time, was, was that just not received as much? Well, or received it all. at that point, uh, you know, later down the road, and this happened many times with Aaron and Tommy both, where we would talk things through. And, and another thing before we get to the post era, you know, we established with my help, I might add, and people like John Spencer, um, a, a necessity of rehearsal um, for a number of reasons. One, we're, we're people who want to get it right. Mm -hmm before we start shooting, which a lot of TV shows just start shooting and then realize they're in trouble and then they gotta cover it. And mm -hmm. it takes six times longer because they're, they're in a bind. Well, we want to work everything out. We wanna understand what we're doing. We wanna create the beats. We wanna mm -hmm. know what we're doing blocking wise. Yeah. Um, and we wanna understand the nomenclature and the language and the issues. So there's a lot to do. So the 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 um, and Tommy, who loves actors and who respects the process, who also works very fast, but respects the fact that we have to have our rehearsal time. We created um, an environment where rehearsal was a primary of a primary importance to the point where actors would come in an hour before crew sometimes work wow. stuff out. Mm -hmm. When I was directing an episode later on in the post era, um, but the, because I had great relationships with the actors, they all came in on a day off. And we worked out the whole teaser, which was actually a fantastic shot. And, and they knew I would be slow, and they, they helped me to, uh, to, to make up some time that way. To, and, and we all got to rehearse it, and it turned out to be a great teaser mm -hmm. anyway. And... Um, uh, uh, and so we did that all the time. Um, in the post era, first of all, we're at the point now where we are factory. The studio now wants to cut the budget a little bit. Our yeah. salaries are all higher, mm -hmm. so they have less money for production. Right. Um, so that's legitimate. Plus, we should know what we're doing at this point. And um, the nature of things was that, you know, in, in the first year when we did 18 and 20 hours a day, when we had to, we're off limits, or you couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. Now it was 14 days and 14 hours and out. Yeah. And um, uh, so we had to get things done uh, quickly. But also, there, there, while I love those guys, I mean, I love the producers uh, who took over, um, uh, their intent was always in the right place, um, you know, they, they had the pressure of getting it done and getting it done a little faster and not being as in tune with me. Mm -hmm. Really, they just weren't as quite in tune with this character as Aaron and Tommy were. And the writing reflected that. And um, of course, the, the final storyline uh, was a betrayal of everything I had worked for. Um, but I don't think that was their intention. I don't think they wanted to screw me over. I just think that they didn't get it, mm. you know. And um, it's a lot easier to get uh, Josh, you know, and CJ and everybody else. This was a complex character. Somebody probably said, hey, I've got a great idea. Toby betrays the president. Okay. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, great idea. <laughs> and, uh, and then they get themselves into a, a puzzle they can't solve. Yeah. A very big puzzle. Um, one thing we didn't get to talk about before, uh, uh, first of all, your your wife on the show, Kathleen York. I, um, I adore her. Yeah, uh, but also we want to talk about CJ as well because there's like a very deliberate Toby-CJ energy throughout all of it. There's so many great, just like short little scenes of the two of them where there's clearly 
some sort of even just a kindred spirit or something what what what's that here's an example of uh, going back to adjusting um, talking to actors and such um, that has to do with Allison and the relationship of CJ and Toby uh, early on in the in in the, in the production I uh, very often would say to Aaron or Tommy, I, I don't think this monologue is Toby's voice. I think it's Josh or it's Leo. Mm -hmm. And Aaron would say, wow, you're right, I didn't think of that. And I'd give away a two-page monologue or whatever. I don't know if Josh and Leo, uh, John were happy about that. Brad and John, you know, oh no, now I got another two pages I gotta yeah. learn. <laughs> but um, uh, I was very, very uh, distinctly concerned with maintaining the true voice of the character, who I didn't think spoke unless he really had, had to, to, you know. And um, uh, but it did because you know they were they were kind of thrilled to have an actor who was willing to give away stuff, which I think is rare, apparently un unusual. Yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, I saw the script and um, I said, "I think this is Toby and not Leo." Um, and it was the, the pool scene, the mm. famous pool scene, which was a flashback yeah. to recruiting CJ to the campaign. Mm -hmm. And it was originally written for Leo. Oh, and I went to, uh, to Aaron and Tommy and I said, I think based on the relationship that's developing between Toby and CJ, that Toby was the one that knew her and that mm -hmm. Toby was the one that recruited her. Mm -hmm. And they said, wow, you're right, but, you know, if it's okay with John, because John, it might not be okay with John. I yeah. said, are you kidding? I already spoke to John. John completely agrees. Mm -hmm. I would never go behind yeah. John's yeah, back, no. you know, uh, A, because if he thought it was Leo, he would fight like a, like a, like a bulldog, and B, because I have so much respect for him uh, that I would never do that. And John being a brilliant actor um, uh, completely agreed immediately and said, yeah, that's, that, that makes sense. And so uh, that scene became between CJ and Toby. And, um, and I don't know how this relationship developed. I think that Allison and Richard had a very, very lovely working relationship um, that allowed for other things to enter into mm -hmm. the, the byplay. More yeah. to play with. Yeah, and um, uh, and I think it just evolved. Um, it was never stated. I don't think ever once. Um, and it got to the point where the more difficult revelations uh, when these characters were going through personal troubles ended up uh, being with each other. Mm -hmm. So CJ ended up coming to Toby, and Toby ended up... So Aaron certainly was seeing that. And um, later on, even in the second era, when Toby loses his brother mm. to suicide, and yeah. it's uh, it's CJ who he who he un 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 uh, coils in front of. And um, it's a brilliant scene. Yeah, uh, tough. That was a tough. That was a tough one. But I think Al Allison and I, uh, you know, ping each other's souls, you know, and we did it on the set. And uh, it's carried over. We adore each other in real life. And, um, uh, you know, there's no one else. Uh, there's no one. If I was in a act off for my life, I would want her to be my partner. Yeah. No, she's a remarkable, remarkable talent. And, and just a fascinating and lovely. Yeah, we can't wait to, to interview her. Um, we're in the middle of season five right now in our podcast, so we're we're getting introduced to some new characters like Rena and other. Okay, I don't even know who Rena is. She was uh, she was in a couple episodes. She was one of your aides, and she kind of dressed like more provocative, and uh, they brought her in, and it seemed like they were setting it up to be some sort of. Uh, entanglement that she was going to get people in trouble. I guess during the government shutdown, they brought her in and then they kept her for a while. And it was just kind of a strange I have no scenario. You don't remember? No recollection. She's, got, she's like short, dark, curly hair. And no recollection. it was maybe like five 
episodes is fine. Um, but I'm just glad they didn't go in that direction because it seemed like they were going to. So season five is a little bit kind of like well, we're season, trying to get through it. Season five is a tough one because, uh, you know, uh, John Wells had to take over and, you know, he was used to writing for medical soap yeah. operas, you know. And so, you know, all of a sudden I think Donna gets hurt and we're... we're Pushing gurneys through double doors. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's really good at that. I think ER is down 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 the alleyway on another yeah. set. What are we doing here? Yeah. But uh, you know, um, I think John did the best he could and uh, and did very well considering, you know, uh, and then we had some other right and then we, you know, Deborah Kahn was fantastic and mm-hmm. Eli Addy. Yeah. So we we still had some some very good episodes. Someone on Twitter uh, remembered uh, I think I was making fun uh, with Josh Molina the other day, and someone said, "No exit." That was, this was like the great scenes of No Exit. Well, that was a, a scene where Deborah Kahn uh, and I had a had a long conversation, which she did not like. But um, she had written that episode, and and I called her into my trailer, and it was very direct. Um, uh, it was, I think the second or third time she, she left crying. Which is, um, I think, both a good and a bad thing. It, it speaks to my lack of tone, uh, <laughs> but it also speaks to the fact that I'm willing to, you know, speak the truth of how I feel. The great thing about Deborah, uh, and she's a really special writer, is she came back every time and wrote, rewrote, um, based on my notes, something so much better than I had ever imagined. Mm. And it's like she just needed someone to kind of open the door for, for the possibilities, I guess. Um, because as I can imagine the writer, someone who's, you know, kind of coming into that show and let me just, you know, and, and I think they, they tend to write what's already been written. And so they wrote this kind of contentious relationship, but it but it didn't move anywhere further than what we've already done. Mm-hmm. And that's that was basically what I said. I said this is just a retread. Mm-hmm. What they're stuck in a room now. Mm-hmm. We got to go deeper. We yeah. got to go deeper than just the same old stuff. Mm-hmm. And she did. She she came through. And uh, every I hope she doesn't mind that I mentioned this, but but. Um, you know, writers uh, should cry every now and then because it, 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 it opens up the possibilities, I think. I mean, I certainly always get better when I cry sure. upset. Yeah. I've been upset and I've been, you know, told a thing or two. And it, uh, if you're in the right place, it, it, it opens the doors to possibilities you didn't think about. And, um, you know, something's not right if somebody is, is that upset with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I have nothing but, but complete love for, for her. I think she's just a wonderful writer. She writes great stuff for vinyl on HBO. Yeah. Um, and uh, Grey's Anatomy, I think she, you know. So she's done fine. Yeah, she recovered from the, the conversation. Did you have any favorite? Uh, well, I want to know if there are any favorite Alice and Janney memories or, or episodes that come to mind. If you think back on your long time on the show, I mean, there's probably so many, but if there were like certain I remember, scenes or... I just, remember, I just remember very early on another defining moment, uh, but, and it was a defining moment between Toby and CJ, and it's something I found just in the moment, because that was when CJ still had the little office, which was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, communications director has a massive audit, uh, office in the, um, in the West Wing, the real one, and I think the first time we visited there, uh, CJ was like, what's going on here? And uh, they said, no, you're right. We've got to get you a bigger office. But this was, this was before that, and she had a little corner office. And I remember being in an overcoat. Um, I don't remember what episode, uh, but she's upset with me about something. And, sh- and she says, you, you, you need to apologize to her. And I remember sitting down and the couch was kind of facing sideways from the desk. Uh, and I think I said, uh, no, you're right. Um, and that's all I did. And there was a long pause. Yeah. <laughs> there was a long pause. And I didn't actually apologize. Yeah. And I don't remember what happened after that. But I, I remember finding that in the moment 
uh, I think maybe I, I realized, oh, I didn't apologize and then said I'm sorry. Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah. But I remember going, oh, you're right, and, and just thinking it was over. <laughs> you know, and I thought that's a beautiful nice Toby moment, which certainly explains his relationship with his ex-wife. And Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was a favorite early moment. But another time, <laughs> she and I, Allison and I, were in a room together, probably her office, and there was a long walk and talk. Like like four pages, mm -hmm. and these take, especially early on, a lot of rehearsal, camera, mm -hmm. sound. Everybody's got to figure out how the hell they're going to get through mm -hmm. the hallways yeah. and around furniture and whatever they do. And uh, it was taking forever. So Allison and I were joking around and having fun, and you know whatever we were doing, make each other laugh, and you know and. We'd, we'd hear some dialogue way, way, way down there, and then cut, back to one. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we, you know, we just literally forgot that we were working. Yeah. And then, and then at one point, we're hearing the stomping of feet and, uh, and dialogue coming closer. And I went, oh no, they're gonna make it this time. And I had, <laughs> I had one line at the end of the scene. You know, they come in and I say one thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're coming closer, and I went to Allison, I, What's my line? What's my line? She goes, I don't know. I don't know. And I looked around for a script and I didn't know it. And then they, they, they I, I don't know what happened. I think they cut right before they got into the room or they came in and I somehow remembered the line. But I'll never forget that moment because it's like we were having so much fun. We forgot that we had a job to do. Oh my gosh. But, um, uh, you know, there's so much with, uh, with, with that. We heard that she, hers was the party trailer. From multiple people. <laughs> well, that's how that's how the uh, jackal got started. Was um, it was her birthday, I believe. It was her birthday, and she was very upset because she was supposed to be wrapped by ten o'clock and go out with her friends. Yeah. She has a gaggle of friends, and a few of them were in New York. Uh, were in from New York, and she was really upset. So we said, "Well, we're just gonna have to have a party in your trailer." So. Mm. She had a nice little set of little bar set up, you know, for for, for late Friday nights, uh -huh. which we would often partake in after midnight on Friday, because we would often go to four or five, six in the morning, and um, regardless of what we were shooting, we would partake in a couple of cocktails, and uh, but this was party night because it was a birthday, so we started drinking and having fun. I don't think we were doing anything too serious on the set. So it became a party, and first it was me and Allison, and probably Brad, and who else, whoever else, and next thing you know, this, and then her friends find out that she can't come out, so they come mm -hmm. to the set, and they're in the trailer, and the next thing you know, Allison, someone says, do the jackal, and Allison lip syncs the jackal, and then she lip syncs it again, and, uh, uh, and I start putting on sunglasses, and I'm, I'm playing the drums, and um, and uh, three hours later, Aaron hears about it, and he comes and watches a reprise of the Jackal. And three episodes later, it's in it's in the show. Oh my God! Uh, but that was uh, that was very typical of uh, of of Allison. I mean, what what is it like to? There's the Netflix generation. I mean, this yeah. is this is coming around yeah. for some people for the first time. I mean, obviously, I I just watched it three years ago. Yeah. You know, I was in high school, going into college when this all was on the air, so I missed it. But what what's that like as we kind of wrap up? Well, what we discovered in in Austin during the the, the television festival there and the West Wing reunion, that audience of how many people? A couple of thousand in that theater was. 80% under 25. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is at the DNC uh, this summer, um, uh, many of the people who stopped um, were, uh, were young, young delegates or young staffers. Um, yeah, it's a whole new thing, um, discovering uh, a, a show uh, through Netflix where you can watch it all so fast. Um, I did this when I was young. I mean, I, I caught on to the Mary Tyler Moore show when it ran from 1 a.m. to 2.30 in the morning in New York and found out there was a whole cult of people that were on suicide watch that would 
it would break up their night because uh, because uh, the comedy was so joyous, mm -hmm. and I became a maritime more freak. I can recite shows, you know. Um, but nowadays, you can you can uh, on a whim decide to watch you know seven seasons of The West Wing. Um, but you won't. <laughs> uh, no, I won't. Uh, maybe someday, but uh, I certainly won't watch the last couple of years. Have your kids seen it? No. Are they allowed to see it? Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're very much allowed. And they're a witness to a lot of, you know, people coming up to me nowadays for ballers and for, you know, movies and, and uh, other TV shows and stuff. But uh, we were just in Miami and a lot of ballers fans down there and athletes who watch the show were coming up to me in restaurants. But um, And my daughter was, you know, very impressed with that. But uh, they've witnessed... Um, you know, uh, for years now, uh, people talking about the West Wing and fans coming up. Um, but uh, I think my son watched two or three, and he, I can't watch my dad act. I can't. I can't watch it. I can't. Um, so whenever I come on, and they're watching a movie. They just. They just stop. Uh, they just don't like it. And the same with their mom. They don't like watching Sheila um, either, for some reason. Uh, so no, uh, they haven't. Um, my son's girlfriend is a, is a huge fan of the show. Uh, she's very politically involved, um, but Gus will Gus will not watch. So, but a lot of a lot of young people, and in many ways, it's great. You know, the uh, I say this um, I've said this before, but in '08, um, well, that was recently after uh, the West Wing, so. But a lot of the young people who I met on the campaign trail, I went to all the debates and I campaigned for Joe Biden mm -hmm. um, in Iowa before he dropped out. Um, so many of <clears throat> Obama's foot soldiers were, uh, came, came up to me, surrounded me, you know, uh, like 30, 40 at a time, and said, you're the reason why we're doing this. Um, you know, the West Wing. And then when I calculated things, afterwards and realized that Obama won the primary mostly because he won the caucus states, mostly because of the work of those foot soldiers, mm -hmm. that it might have affected the course of history, you know. And, um, and many of the young people at the convention were saying the same thing uh, about getting involved because, because of the West Wing. I'm sure the numbers aren't quite as strong as they were in 08, but, um, but still, it's... it's, uh, it's, it's 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 a surprise, but it's a, a very very lovely surprise mm -hmm. that um, generations uh, moving forward will catch catch the show and might affect um, if they get involved in the, in yeah. the political system, which which would be nice if they did. Yeah. Oh, the la last question being because you mentioned the master class with with Aaron. He, I'm enrolled, I'm going to do it when I get home, actually. But he talks about writing episode 501. So if Aaron were to come to you and say, hey, Richard, I kind of have, you know how Gilmore Girls is doing a reboot? There are four episodes on Netflix. If Aaron were to say, like, hey, I've got an idea for four, you know, like, hour and a half episodes of The West Wing, would you sign off on that? Would you want to see that or do that if, if Aaron was involved? Well, it wouldn't make much sense because it would be like we'd be walking around with walkers, with walkers and wheelchairs. Um, West Wing is a young man's game, and yeah, you know, one of the things that I said during the show was like, you know, you realize that Gene Sperling was the only staffer of the Clinton White House that lasted eight years. That's true. Yeah. And um, you know, Dee Dee Myers was there for what less than a year. Um, I just. Uh, uh, did a little bit with Jay Carney at the at the at the convention. Mm -hmm. you know, he he was working for Biden before, and then became the um, press secretary, and he he lasted a year. Um, chief of staffs, they go through, you know three or four sometimes. Um, so it wouldn't make much sense that we were all in the same boat, but um, I do think that there's a show, for instance, with say Toby. I think so. Um, who is back on the outside and um, who has a, an agenda to get another, another uh, better voice into the, into the White House um, um, and to see him 
uh, as the opposition um, uh, operative. Uh, I, I would have interest in that. And uh, he, possibly he uh, would get some of the team together again uh, for another candidate with some younger bucks to do uh, some of the, well, first of all, to draw the audience. And second of all, a bunch of One Direction uh, yeah, actors. We need, <laughs> we need some younger, buck, look, good-looking, you know, people in this day and age who, uh, who, uh, yeah, who can. Um, we need some raucous sex scenes. And <laughs> it, it's like a scandal veep uh, House need, of Cards hybrid. We need some sword fights and some, you know, something, some, some, something apocalyptic or zombies or. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think we need a zombie army to come from the north. <laughs> And like a sexy zombie. Yeah. Something yeah. Or, a, or a sex scene between zombies. and oh, No, but I, I think that actually would make a great show. I well, think, I think, uh, I think uh, specifically Toby, and I might be biased. You might be. Um, Jury's but, still out. But I think because, A, especially if you follow the storyline of him uh, being an outsider by, by necessity because he's been kind of uh, scandalized, um, uh, that perspective, um, you know, when you're watching the Trump campaign and you're watching people like uh, Banning and uh, Manafort, uh, I'd love to see the progressive version of of, of that. Um, uh, you know, uh, Banning is literally an agenda-driven, power-hungry loon. Um, I'd love to see the opposite version of that, um, uh, and Toby, I think, would be that. Mm. Well, we uh, are hopefully talking to Aaron this fall as well. So maybe I'll just ask him uh, a little bit about that. So yeah, yeah. give 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 you. Yeah. Give, give, I'm, I, <laughs> so I will. For instance, I will never grovel. <laughs> I will never grovel for a show. So if the idea comes from somebody else, hey, it might. Happy to be the messenger. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Yeah.